Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. Fresh off of Talk the Thrones, The Ringer is introducing a new live Twitter after show covering season two of HBO's Big Little Lies. Immediately after each episode, The Ringer's Amanda Dobbins and ESPN's Mina Kimes will be going live to give their initial reactions and break down everything we saw in the episode. And to kick us off, there will be a special season two preview airing on Friday, June 7th at 12 p.m. Pacific. So join Amanda and Mina for Big Little Live every Sunday on Twitter. Welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore, listening back on the air. Thanks for, I always want to say tuning in, right? It's, I don't know, switching it on, whatever it is, guys. You know, I'm too old to know what the right term is. <laughs> um, so, a lot going on right now. A lot of that Mueller crap I'm really not paying attention to. It just doesn't interest me that much. It seems like we keep having the same arguments over and over. Everybody knows Trump is corrupt. Everybody knows, you know, he's uh, he's worthy of impeachment. Whether that's going to happen, probably not. Whether it should, probably not. So, you know, Democrats are going to keep chasing that tail, but that tail is going to keep, you know, running around in that circle. That's what I tell Buster all the time. He keeps chasing his tail. He never catches it. But that tail is right there. <laughs> it's right there, and he keeps chasing it. So congratulations, Democrats. So last week I was talking about, I used kind of Magic Johnson to make a point where he went on first take and he was, he was being real honest about his time with the Lakers. And I was, I was saying how he kind of threw the Lakers under the bus. And I was making a point between being honest, which sometimes can be just a self-serving, you know, exercise about your feelings and telling the truth, which many times has nothing to do with your feelings and can actually be in conflict with either what your opinion is or where you stand on things, because it's the truth. Truth doesn't care, right? And making a distinction with that with politicians and everything and talking about Trump. So I need to make another Laker example to talk about another category in here. And uh, I won't take long with this, but it's kind of a fun one. So Rob Palinka, who is the general manager of the Lakers, who worked with Magic, and he's the one that Magic had the problems with, right? Magic said he, he that Palinka was backstabbing him. And Palinka kind of has a reputation for not being well-liked in basketball. He was a big uh, sports agent. He was Kobe Bryant's agent. And you know how agents are. You know, <laughs> you know they're the worst with telling the truth, right? Honesty or the truth just isn't in their category. So Rob Palinka, there's a video surface with Rob Palinka's talking to some of the Laker players. And he's telling this story about Kobe. And he's telling them that Kobe saw The Dark Knight and was really impressed by Heath Ledger's performance. And he reached out to Rob and said, Rob, can you get me a dinner with Heath? Because I really want to ask him some questions. And so Rob said, as I set up this dinner for them, and I'm paraphrasing the way he said it. And Rob is telling these players who are, by the way, could have really little interest in the story. When they cut to the players, it's hilarious. They're like barely listening to it. It's like they're stuck in an assembly in high school and they graduate like in hours, you know, and they can't wait to get out of there. That's what it was like. But he's telling them this story. And he says, and Kobe talked to Heath Ledger and Heath Ledger was talking about how he really zeroed in and about his focus. And he said, Kobe then used that when he played against the Knicks, right? So it turns out that Heath Ledger, of course, died before The Dark Knight came out. And there's no way that Kobe could have <laughs> had dinner with Heath Ledger unless he was having it with his corpse. And it would be doubtful if his corpse would be that forthcoming about his role on The Dark Knight. That would be very doubtful. So, Rob Palenka was lying about that. But it's not that clean. It's not really 
in my category, I don't call this just lying. That's what it looks like from the outside. We have another category here, right? This is bullshit, okay? That's the other category here. There's honesty, there's truth-telling, and then there's bullshit. Now, remember, in all of these categories, with the exception of truth-telling, lies can exist. And bullshit, basically the purpose of bullshit is to sell something, and the selling of something uses a story that usually doesn't hold up to the smell that emanates from it, right? That's pretty much what bullshit is. And people, some people are really good at bullshit, you know, and most of us even can smell the bullshit because the smell is unmistakable, but bullshit, I don't know what it is, you know, it's something that it just wins people over many times, you know, but it is another one of those things that is out there. And politicians, by and large, use bullshit a lot. And people many times are taken in by bullshit if they're good at using the bullshit, right? So I just wanted to bring this up as another category to look out for because, you know, it's. I think those are the three categories that we can judge the politicians because I'm getting back to the race, 2020, of who we're going to vote for. And I'm not saying, look, sometimes you, the bullshit person is the person who you want in office. It all depends. Like when I look at the, the presidents of the last, let's say, 40 years, 45 years or whatever, I can put them in the categories of who were the ones who were being honest, who were the ones who were doing the truth-telling, and who were the bullshit artists, okay? <laughs> Just so we can kind of see, right? To me, the ones who were being uh, truth-tellers, right, who told us the truth, I would say it was Jimmy Carter and George H.W. Bush, and they both paid the price for it. Jimmy Carter told us we had to, we had to conserve energy, you know, we had to— we couldn't use our thermostats. <laughs> you know, we had to gas rash. We had to, all these things. People did not want to hear that crap. You know, we couldn't go to the Olympics because it was not the moral thing to do, you know. And he didn't get reelected because of it. But he told us the truth on that, you know. It wasn't, he wasn't being honest about his feelings about it. These were truthful things. The same with George W. Bush. George W. Bush was interesting because he started as a truth teller and then became a bullshit artist and then went back to truth telling. <laughs> So he started as a truth teller where he called Reagan's economic plan, because he ran against Reagan in 1980. He called it voodoo economics, right? He told the truth about Reagan's economic plan, and he explained what voodoo economics was, and people liked him because of it. Unfortunately, Reagan is a master bullshit artist, and he won the election. Reagan's one of the best bullshit presidents, by the way. And then George H.W. Bush became his vice president, and he became vice bullshit artist, right? And when he when he ran for president, he still had the bullshit in his system. And he said, uh, read my lips. No new taxes. Right. Complete bullshit statement. It's all it is is bullshit, really. But you might have to raise taxes. Who gives who knows? You know, but that's a bullshit statement meant to sell something. Right. That's what I mean by bullshit. You know, he's not being honest. It's not truth telling. That's bullshit. Right. Like, honestly, he would have to just really honestly care about taxes in some kind of way. That's his his bet noir. You know, he's just, it's really got to be his thing. Or truth-telling, he'd have to be honest with us about that, you know, that you really can't do that. Uh, Walter Mondale ran in 1984. He told everybody, look, I'm going to have to raise taxes. He was, you know, he told the truth about it, wasn't elected. So he gets elected with bullshit, right? But then what happens? He becomes president, and he suddenly becomes a truth-teller. It was really amazing because George H.W. Bush, by and large, was kind of a truth-teller. That's how he made his business, you know, except for when he ran the CIA, of course, which is the irony of ironies. So— he realizes he has to raise taxes, and he tells the truth about it, and he's pilloried for it. You know, he's hated by his own party, you know. So those are the two presidents who were kind of truth-tellers. The bullshitters were Ronald Reagan, who was a fantastic bullshitter, 
uh, Bill Clinton, arguably the best bullshitter. And I would put Obama as kind of a combination, I would say, bullshitter and let me think about Obama. And maybe truth teller a little bit in there. I'm trying to think honest. I'll tell you why I say Obama's a little bit of both. Because, like, hope and change is such an amazing bullshit slogan. You know, hope. What the fuck does that mean, you guys? It doesn't mean anything. It was the most amazing bullshit slogan since I like Ike. It really was amazing. But many of Obama's initial messages were kind of truth-telly when he talked about what the economy needed at the time. He used some really just direct language about it, and he stopped using his bullshitty, flowery language. And I think he lost a lot of people because of that because he started telling the uh, the truth on some things. But Obama went back and forth between those two. I would say the honest ones who were kind of in their feelings were George W. Bush <laughs> and— uh, who else was there? George W. Bush? Maybe Gerald Ford, maybe? That's all I can think of, you know. So there you go. So, who's running for president now? Let's take a look. I would say the bullshit artist right now. The people you got to look out for the bullshit, okay, of who's running for president with the Democrats. And by the way, Trump, as I said, um, does all these things. He wins. People like him because of his honesty. But Trump is really good at selling bullshit. It's partly what he did as a— his real estate, quote-unquote, mogul or whatever. He's really good at selling bullshit. And where Trump gets in trouble is when he starts selling bullshit because his followers don't like him for the bullshit because then he sounds like any other politician. I'll give you an example. So when Trump talks about the wall, right, and when he talks about the wall for his reasons because Mexicans are rapists and all these things, that's when he's being honest. By honest, I mean he's in his feelings about it. This is how he really feels about it. People like him for that because he's being honest and authentic. But when he says Mexico's going to pay for it, that's bullshit. Mexico's going to pay for it is bullshit. People know that it's bullshit, right? And he's losing points because of the bullshit part of it. I'm talking about with his base, you know. For the people on the other side, we know all of it is bullshit or whatever and racist, whatever you're going to say. But that's—isn't that interesting, you know? So Trump, he actually loses on bullshit where Reagan and Clinton kind of won on bullshit, you know. Like Clinton's best bullshit line was, I feel your pain. You know, that's such bullshit. You don't feel anybody's fucking pain. Get over yourself, right? But it was a great bullshit line, right? It worked. So who am I going to say? Um, so here are the bullshitters, guys. <laughs> okay. Joe Biden, he's the bullshitter in chief. He's fantastic at bullshitting because he's kind of sly about it, you know. Not saying he's—by the way, I'm not saying you can't be a good person and that some of the bullshit isn't for good or whatever— I'm just saying bullshit as a tactic, right? I would say second place is Cory Booker. And I would say this is going to surprise some people. Oh, no. I would say this won't surprise me. Third place, I would say, is Beto O'Rourke, who was able to ride bullshit uh, when he was riding against Ted Cruz. But now the bullshit is falling apart right in front of his eyes, which is pretty funny to me. And um, I would say the last one is Kamala Harris. You know, she's very sly. She's a very sly bullshitter. She's a very talented politician. And of all those people, I think she can kind of get away with it in some ways. I think Biden will get away with it, by the way, because he's very popular, too. But um, I don't think Booker will get away with it. It's just too transparent. But Kamala Harris is very talented, and she's very smart, too. She was a When you're a DA, you just have to be on it in terms of just being on point on issues, right? So that's my little breakdown of the candidates there, of the bullshit artists. 
So maybe next week I'll talk about who are the ones that I think are the honest ones and who are the truth tellers. So that's something to look forward to. All right, guys. This is kind of fun having these little exercises, don't you think? If you have any ideas about these, you know, you know, you can tweet me about it or whatever. Send your ideas. Or if you disagree, you know, if you think I'm wrong on the bullshit. But it is bullshit. So anyhow. All right. I didn't mention on today's show, Jordan Klepper, one of my old pals from The Daily Show, uh, has a new show called Klepper. It's really good, guys. It's a documentary-style show where he really embeds himself in situations and really does an amazing job. But we have a great conversation coming up. Hope you enjoy it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, that it. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Larry. ZipRecruiter sends your jobs to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. And as applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. So, right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. Okay, listen up, guys. ZipRecruiter.com slash Larry. That's right. ZipRecruiter.com slash L-A-R-R-Y. ZipRecruiter.com slash Larry. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. All right, welcome back. This is really a treat uh, to have here in the studio, also because I thought he was going to be in New York. <laughs> this is a surprise. It's a double treat. <laughs> I was going to say triple treat, but I was like, what's the third one? <laughs> We're going to find a treat. There's a treat coming up. It's a triple treat, and we have to find the third treat. Jordan Klepper, everybody, from the aptly named Klepper yes. show, which is now on Comedy Central. Welcome to Black on the Air, Jordan. Thanks for having me, Larry. Uh, it's so nice to have you here. I was a fan of yours instantly, by the way, um, back in the Daily Show days. You're too kind. Right back at you. You're really funny. Uh, just instantly. You really hit it right out of the park, I think, when you first came on on that show. Well, that's kind yeah. of you to say. I was yeah. I was kind of scared shitless, I yeah. remember, day one. <laughs> it's kind of how everybody is. <laughs> kind you know? of, I, think they, I think that show does benefit from throwing you in right. right away. It almost moves too fast yeah. where you don't have time to second guess. Yeah. I, I, I also... I was older by the time I got that. So uh-huh. I think I was I was better at faking it and it was moving so fast that right. it was like, Oh, I think I can I think I can get by until I actually figure out what's going on. Yeah, by older you mean you were more of a seasoned performer older? Is that I what think you mean? so. I think yeah. I was, yeah. I was what, thirty five, thirty six. Yeah. So I had I had I was not at all successful. Right. I but I'd been doing stuff for fifteen years. So yeah. I do think like that that part felt confident and comfortable. You Did you go right from up, Upright Citizens then? You were, you were doing that in New York at the time, right? I was doing that in New York. Right. I was I was performing. I was teaching. I was uh-huh. actually at that t- point. What were you I teaching? Was, I was teaching at the Upright Citizens. Oh, okay. You were teaching. And then I got, I actually started, I was writing at a handful of MTV shows. Uh-huh. I was writing for Charlemagne. He had like a sketch show on MTV That's too. hilarious. It was, it was super <laughs> fun. So right. writing, writing some bits with Charlemagne the God uh, and, and directing great. some bits. I love it if that would have been on the check, you know, like you <laughs> paid from the God. See the God, yeah. Comma, Charlemagne. Right? <laughs> it, it definitely. It, you, you, you frame that thing, and parents get right. pretty impressed. Yeah. <laughs> you finally found God. I do, and he pays non-union wages. <laughs> yes. Did you think your road might be as a writer, possibly, in those days? Or were you just trying to feel it out? You were trying to figure out where your place was, that kind of thing? I think whatever stuck. Right. I think, you know, I, I came in— uh, performer in improv world, and then 
you, you're at that point, you're also writing, also performing. Yeah. Probably, you know, dreaming of performing and writing uh -huh. and then just functionally making ends meet too in New York. Like there's more writing opportunities. Mm -hmm. You get, you get acting bits for a day or two. Yeah. But then writing stuff, that was, that was, that felt more sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so by the time Daily Show came up, I was still performing, but like I, I had kind of figured out how to make a living writing. Do you remember how you got your audition for The Daily Show? I do. Um, I had auditioned in the past. They saw an, a video my wife and I did, uh -huh. and then they uh, they liked both of us, uh -huh. and Oliver had left, and they requested us both to put a, uh, an audition on tape, uh -huh. write one separate and write one together. Interesting. Yeah. And they liked both of us, and uh -huh. they called both of us in, and we both auditioned, uh, and then I uh -huh. got the job. And your wife? Did not get the job. And at home? <laughs> it was something we honestly, it, it only took us probably yeah. seven years to get over. Really? I mean, it, it, it was. It was tough. Huh? It was tough. Yeah, yeah, it was It was a, it's one of those things. I didn't that, mean to make fun of that. I was just curious. No, yeah, you yeah. really went for the jugular. I this know. Is not the, this is not the third treat, yeah. Larry. <laughs> we did not find it. I think we're down a treat now. <laughs> we're we're going to need an extra treat to make up for the, we're gonna find two the more minus treats. treat that I did. Sorry. <laughs> No, it was a, I mean, it was chaotic. I mean, like, you know, oh, wow. on paper, it's like, oh, your break. I was like, man, the break is complicated. Like, yeah. my wife was doing the exact same stuff. So we met doing comedy in Chicago. Sure. She got close. She's gotten close to SNL a couple times, tested. Like, man. you know the game where you're like, you're close and it's you don't get it. It's so unpredictable, that whole game of breaking through a certain type of wall. You know, it's. Nobody's road is the same. No. It's completely unpredictable when that thing might happen. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you're with somebody who's trying to do the same thing, that's the, you know, Sam and Jason oh, went through that type of thing. A hundred percent. I definitely talked Sam to Jason B. and Sam about yeah, that. Jason Jones, yeah. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you, having a partner there is, you know, it's cathartic. And Steve and Nancy together. before that. Steve oh, right, Steve and Nancy did yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, I, honestly, I will say mm -hmm. some of that history gave us a little bit of hope. Like, oh, yeah. this— you know, what a dream come true, two people getting consistent work. I right. mean, I think that it's not only a break, but it's like a consistent, <laughs> consistent work. You look at sure. Sam and Jason, it's like, is Jason been there for 10 years? Or Sam yeah. was there for 10 years? Uh, my theory is they hated each other before they started, and that's what helped their marriage. <laughs> yeah, I think and so. And then all they had to bloom from that was love. You know? That's right, yeah. Start from a place <laughs> of hate and you'll find yeah, it. Yeah, Sam and Jason was pure hate at the beginning. That's and it right. just blossomed into love. I really yeah. think Jones does a good job of starting from a yes. place of hate with I all relationships so. that I he think builds. So. <laughs> I, that's absolutely correct <laughs> for so. anybody that knows Jason Jones. It starts from intense hatred. Mm -hmm. And you go, you know what? Jason's not that bad of a guy. Yeah. You know. He's it's yeah. smart. Yeah, right? He sets yeah. the bar so low. He does. He hits yeah. you with the bar and then if it raises at all, you're like, oh, you know what? Yeah. Maybe people have it wrong about that it's guy. It's instant confrontation <laughs> from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and there's some slight that happened when you weren't around. You know, you have no idea. Yeah, You yeah. have no idea what happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what did I do? I, yeah. I guess I need to spend my time and effort to make you like me more. Why am I working so Why hard? Why am I doing this? <laughs> it's, it's mind games from the get-go. Yeah. That's performers, though. Performers always have something. There's something in there. So yeah. you, you never know what the, the thing that's going to tick it off. You know, that's why the hybrid people are kind of interesting, too. Like, I think I identify more with being a writer mm -hmm. than being a performer. Mm -hmm. So I think 
I don't know. I just always kind of had that identity, which is kind of, you know, it's whole other thing, you know. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It feels like it has more control to it. It does, but then you feel like you never get credit for anything, too. <laughs> so there, it's the massive, there's a masochism involved with writing. Yeah. Where you're, you're involved with doing all this work for someone else to blossom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for someone else okay. to, to look great in, you know. How, would you, how do you want people to see you? If, but, if you but see, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's a complicated relationship. You really mm -hmm. don't want the attention. You really don't, you know, but yet somehow you want the acknowledgement. Right. That's what I mean. It's very fucked up. The yeah. writers were fucked up in that way. Don't give us too much, but at least acknowledge us for Christ's <laughs> For sake. God's sake. What the fuck? Who do you think wrote this? Okay, okay, you wrote it. No, I don't want all the credit. Oh, I'm a writer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is—I I do it because I love it. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to my son about this. We were saying whenever something is good, the actors always get credit when it's good. If it's great, the director gets credit, and if it sucks, the writer gets the blame. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, That's I feel like it's, the, it's the first thing to see. It's like, well, yeah. These yeah. everybody in this is so involved. Why, why, why does it, this all sound so yeah. bad? It's like it looked good on the page. Yeah. I writers you. always get negative credit. Always. <laughs> is there what? What? What's, always. If something's bad, trust me. If something's bad, look at any review right now. And if it's bad, writing sucks. Mm -hmm. How, these, there's such a great cast, but, you know, the script didn't service this great cast. Well, maybe the sucky cast didn't service this script. Oh, my God. Larry Wilmer just got salty about it. <laughs> oh, my God. Jeez. Never worked again. I'll have to be a performer. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just an observation. But it is true, though. And when it, it's great, it's always the director. Do you, that is true. Well, they, the but what? Do you think TV, sometimes that what? TV, writer's medium? It is writer's medium. Film, mm -hmm. director, theater, yeah. actor. Is that fair? Yeah, theater is a writer's medium. It's a playwright. Yeah. But actors control that, too, because they're on stage all the time. Well, so. I think their choices yeah. feel like something that is yeah. consistently analyzed in theater. Yeah. It's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. In comedy. So so you started on The Daily Show. Yep. And do you remember what your audition was? I did a— um, well, I did I did an old piece, which actually I'm blanking on what that piece was, uh -huh. and then I wrote another piece. The bit I remember with it was I I walk John into some verbal thing and then uh -huh. take high status and make fun of a mistake he made. And uh -huh. I remember remember in writing that, like, oh, I think this will be I think this will be fun if he he trips uh -huh. up in this and I can go high status on him. And it was fun. I mean, because John comes into that audition. Way loose. hadn't. I'm sure he hadn't read it. Yeah. I think part of that's by design. Right. Uh, and But I think, like, so he's loose on that script, discovering it. It's clunky, and he's improvising, yeah. which was good for me, I remember. I was like, oh, I can. this is actually a thing that I do feel good about doing. Uh -huh. And I think he's, he, he walked into whatever that bit was that suddenly— I got to call him out on, and I think that tickled him. And I remember oh, that. I was, cool. I, was like, I was like, oh, I think that was a, I think that was a fun move. Because uh -huh. at that point, it's just, oh, he just—he wants to—he wants to feel comfortable and fuck around. Yeah. I, re I remember that, too, of like, oh, I talked with Dan Back at all, uh -huh. who used to be a coach of mine back in Chicago. Oh, wow. I just worked with Dan on something. Did you really? On a pilot. Yeah, it was great seeing him again. He is great. Yeah, so he's funny. A great guy. So thoughtful. Really funny, too, yeah. He, he was mm -hmm. coming up in Chicago. There's those, you know, guys who are like— an, an, the generation before you who mm -hmm. are just lauded and Dan was always that who's just yeah. like you know takes no prisoners no shit right. just funny yeah. and he you know had his daily show time which yeah I know he he had some ups and downs yeah. uh, with that but he was kind of reached out I was like what's this audition like and his advice there he was like you gotta act like you got it if you're this far it's it's not in your control, so so don't be don't be polite. Mm -hmm. You got it. Go there, act like you got it. And so I remember in that audition, I was like, all right, I'll 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 fake that. And also interaction with John too. It was like John John doesn't want you to 
kiss his ass. The last thing he wants is you to feel <laughs> thankful for it. And yeah. So it was like, oh, I'll, I'll give him shit and I'll, I'll go high status. Mm-hmm. And that became really fun and easy to play. Yeah, that's great. And you must have been so exciting when you found out that you got it, right? I mean, yes. And the complicated, I mean, I yeah. found out I got it and I found out my wife didn't get it and, right. and had to kind of hold both of those ideas together. Yeah. And so it was a, it was a complicated, weird day. I felt um, great and yeah. and is sad at the same time. Right. Because she actually gets the call and has to tell me that I got it. She didn't get oh, it. Oh, man. It was a beautiful story. Yeah. I mean, once once I have emotionally worked through it, it's going to be an incredible screenplay. <laughs> I think you guys are, are probably good. <laughs> I hope so. I'm sure you're good now. <laughs> um, and you weren't really – I don't, I don't think you ever thought of yourself, I mean, as far as what I know about you, as a, as a political comic before that. I mean, you're really an improv comic, right? Yeah. I was um, – I mean, I did some improv shows that were – politically based mm-hmm. and like doing stuff at the second city it's kind of in the dna yeah. i'd say a lot of that's mostly social commentary right and and politics mm-hmm. as well like so i was i was up on the news i cared about it mm-hmm. uh but you know once I, I felt like i got thrown into the, into the wolves there I'm like yeah. i care i'm i'm no dummy when it comes to this i'm opinionated mm-hmm. but i kind of had to up my game were you kind of intimidated by it at first by that arena yeah mm-hmm. that first day I, mean, I look back at it fondly, but I remember that first day you come in, and I came in, and they they said I was going to do a, a I, di- I did a chat on the show and brought me into John's office to kind of talk through it. And Crimea had just been invaded, mm. and I remember going in that room. Steve Bodo, Flans, Jen Flans, executive producer, and um, and John started talking about Crimea. Started talking yeah. about like John and John was commenting on like a few editorials he had read that morning. Oh, right. I did not know where Crimea You're like, was. Yeah, Crimea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah. You know how we feel about this and it's, the crime in Crimea. Oh, am right. I right? <laughs> so I was like, hopefully wordplay is going to get me by yeah. here. <laughs> so that was. I mean, that was one of those moments where yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, shit. I'm in over my head. Wow. And and you you know you go off and you go write it with a couple writers. So. Yeah. That worked in that one because we played off of my nerves and the nerves of me being my first show. So sure. That, so we could, right, right. That we worked then into that. it could that. just be about behavior. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was. It's one of those things. You're like, okay, cool. I can I can, I can play behavior games. Mm-hmm. I'm good at crafting what a chat is and what that satire is. Right. But yeah, like that's a smart room. Yeah. Uh, you gotta you gotta know your shit. You you cannot know your shit and go quiet. But mm-hmm. I think it's always more fun when you're you're part of that conversation. Yeah, you always make me laugh in your role there. I always felt you you brought something unique as kind of a, a slapstick isn't quite the word, mm-hmm. you know, but you were uh you brought a physicality to that that was different more than just like, you know, being snarky or a wordplay or that type of thing, which I thought was really cool, you know. Just the way you would react to things, it felt you felt like somebody funny in that situation, you know. I got a big dumb face, which helps. <laughs> and a weird lanky body. Right. I think like uh I was birthed into like a John Cleese body. So yeah. mo- movement movement is inherently humorous. So. Right. Especially if you're covering something, you know, just real dry or stale or <laughs> yeah. that type of thing. It helps to to comically be funny already. You know? Yeah. You have right. to you have to find those fun nooks and crannies. Yeah. I think actually and I like and find that it about for it. yourself that's unique too. Yes. yes. That's the tough part sometimes, you know. I think a hundred percent I, I appreciated though that it was a it was a role. Yeah. Instead exactly. of just like go be funny. It's like right. here here's the parameters of it. These are what chats kind of feel like. You're you're playing a newscaster. Yeah. There's 
there are there's boundaries and you can break those for sure. But it was right. always fun to know like these are the parameters. Now find your your way within that. Yeah, to me the toughest thing. Well, when you're first thinking about it, is Colbert really set that standard? Mm-hmm. You know, of the fake correspondent. You know, and so you have you can't do what he did better than he did it. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. so you have to find out. Well, who am I in this? You know, and I, I remember for me. I just knew I had to, like, my normal thing is to be contrary, you know. And sure. where does contrariness fit in this, you know? And uh, I think it was uh, DJ Jabberbaum. He's like, maybe you should be like a black Republican or something. Like that. I go, no, that's just the opposite, you know, of something. If, if I'm senior black correspondent, you know, I could just be contrary to what you you think I should be excited about all the time. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> Rather, and it, it shouldn't matter what side of the aisle it falls on, whether it's right or left. Yeah. You know, it's just your opinions don't matter, you know. And so, and I knew if I played it straight to an underplayed, then I'm not doing what people think of the black guys. I got to be up here and all emotional about things too. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think like, yeah. it, also if you're just contrarian and not ideological, then you can play. I think that that was actually something... We did the opposition afterwards. Yeah. It was harder, and also as the Daily Show kind of started to evolve, like yeah. if you if your if your character game wasn't political, it was character. Yes, like it was like I can I can I can play Midwestern nice and dumb cocky right. confident, and within those realms, yeah. and you can put that conservative, you can put that liberal, right? But but the funny is coming from what you're missing. Right. And mine was catching John in his naivete of black politics <laughs> yes. and, black and me telling him what the truth was. But And for me as a performer, I had to find what that truth was for myself. And yeah. that's, that's what was fun about those. Um, how did the opposition first develop? Did you did you were you thinking of that at the show? Was it something you came up with or did someone else come up with that? Or? So, yeah, I mean, I think like mm-hmm. I, I had for a while and talked with Trevor as well as like would mm-hmm. love to host a show what that yeah. could be and so, I, I, so this started happening once John was gone right? a little bit I, I will say I'll give Trevor credit like mm-hmm. once John left and mm-hmm. Trevor came in and Trevor and I hit it off pretty well right off the bat uh-huh. and Trevor was very open and, and kind we we did and do have a good relationship. I remember he came into my office early on, and he was like, "I, you know, I need you to help me with this. You're like mm-hmm. senior guy right here. You know some of these things, uh, but I want to help you too. What do you want to do?" And in that moment, I was like, "I want to, I want to host a show as well." He was like, "Cool, I'll help you with that." Yeah. And I think I hadn't said that out loud at that point, but I think that was my moment. I was like, "Oh, I think I do kind of want that." And you had you had John leaving, and you had all of this conversation yeah. about you know who's going to do this, and that wasn't something I thought much about until. I was in an office where that was the conversation for six months. <laughs> Did you think you might be in line to do John's show? No. Uh-huh. Did I mean, anyone I ever I... ask you about that? Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. casual, and not not from not any official manner. Mm-hmm. No, I think I, I was the young guy. You know, I was. Right. You know, there, you know I, I'm sure Trevor I... had only done two spots on the show. <laughs> yeah, I was. I mean, yeah, when, they, when they picked Trevor, I was like, maybe I more, wasn't yes, the young exactly. guy. <laughs> you had done more than he had. You know, I mean, let's be honest. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, he had like Obama's rise. You know, it was like <laughs> boom. Yeah, man. and I'm I'm Hillary yeah. Clinton here. I'm like, right, really? Right, right. Wow. Okay, I've waited my time. <laughs> yes. I've been here for a oh, year. <laughs> in reality, Jason was more Hillary Clinton. Let's be honest. Oh, I love this. He would love that comparison. And all fair, I love you, Jason. You know, Jason, I love you, and I'm only saying this because you have, you know, you've treated me like you've, yes. you've whipped me into support. It's all with affection. Uh, um, no, yeah, I think like I didn't see myself as getting that. There were so many mm-hmm. people who were obviously more in line or prep for that. Mm-hmm. But but I think the bug was planted like, oh, wow, could you see yourself doing something like right. that? And I think saying that out loud with Trevor. And then from there, it was like, oh, w- what could we do? Could we? 
I mean, again, I, I like that restriction. I like that character. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's honestly something that I've now lost with this new show, uh-huh. which I've also liked. I like just figuring out who the hell yeah. I am. But going into the opposition, it was like, I, I would like to find a construct for playing it through character, right. what is out there right now, what is that voice? Were you concerned about, like, having your raw opinion out there on a show and you felt maybe more comfortable being in a character? Was was it that kind of thought? Or? I think it's comfort and also, like, the weapon. I like the weapon okay. of character. Uh, going at it— From absurd, a comic point of view, right? From a comic point right. of view. Uh-huh. I, and from improv, from sketch, right. Second City, it's like, you don't go out there— Like, you can be earnest, but— Stand-ups are great at being earnest. Right. Like an improviser slash sketch comedian, it's like, yeah. find that character game. Exactly. What's that foible? I can be that dumb. I and think also, that's a great distinction, yeah. It's it's a big thing. Uh-huh. And also, as like a white guy of privilege on that show, uh-huh. it's like, it's easier for me to see the bad guy in the shit that's happening there <laughs> and playing that. Like, it's like, I think sure. actually that's a, it's a strength that I was like, oh, it's fun to be like, I see that thing you're doing. Uh-huh. I see that as bullshit. It's it's kind of more fun to be the bullshit as yeah. opposed to call out the bullshit, mm-hmm. and so kind of crafting that around it, and then looking for like where you know you know obviously Stephen did Colbert Report, and it's yeah. like he kind of set that mold. Is there is there a way to still play character? Is there a newer mold? Trying to find you know the Infowars world of it all, mm-hmm. and so it was it was kind of it was trying to find a way to to still be able to play with these absurd tools. Yeah, I thought your show was very ambitious, you know, and. You know, with yourself, and you guys had a brilliant staff on that show, too. Great staff. But, man, it was so ambitious to go after something like that, you know, the Alex Jones of it all, you know, and that type of thing. It it got sticky. Like, mm-hmm. uh, we had a lot of fun with it. Um, and I, and I'm saying, you guys, I thought you did an awesome job. Oh, too, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm proud of the show. Like, but it was it was tough. There, there was, yeah. There's some dark stuff on that side that— Yeah, there really is. There like, really is. Like, the, it was weird when, yeah. like, when they would out— Flank, like, the crazy and or the hate. I think that's where it got tough. Where yeah. It was like, oh, you know, like Alex Jones, Columbine shit is is tough and dark. And I yeah. think it's easy to parody the conspiracy mindset, the fear-mongering. All mm-hmm. of that stuff is really, like, playful. Like, the the victimization. Like, when we would dip into more Tucker Carlson-y or right. um, these Paul Joseph Watson, some of these characters who are all, like, yeah. like oh, woe is me. Oh, woe is me. Yeah. It's like, that was really fun fun to take apart but then some of the stuff got real dark race real dark uh you know conspiracy stuff Mm -hmm. in a way that 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 was you had some days you had shootings you had stuff like that where you're like Mm. i really wish i didn't have to find a comedic way backwards to ape this so an audience gets it there was one episode where you were very serious it was i think it was after a shooting or something i remember that i was like wow you know we had I think we we had a we had a big shooting. I mean, we had to do that on the nightly show, you know. I was gonna say you're reacting to those things in real time. Well, you know? I feel like that was you guys were also starting to. I mean, everything has happened and been so compacted over these last handful yeah. of years, but that was starting to be a new thing where I feel like late night hosts are now more expected to. I know address yeah. that, right? Because we want like there were times where I was angry. I was like, do I have like. Right. I don't know if it's my place sometimes. Right. Like, and what is my obligation like, as yeah, a comedian? Like, I have right. to now, do I have to be a flamethrower? I don't know if I always feel comfortable as yeah. that. The, the the shooting thing as well and the gun topic is a topic that I've, you know, covered and done a special on. And so, like, four days in it happened and we we're like, wow, do we break character right off the bat? I'm like, right. I don't think you can do that. But yeah. also, you have to be really careful. And so we found a few 
ways to address it that I was proud of. But mm-hmm. it, but that was a challenge where, like, when that happens for the fourth time, you're like, I'd like to get out there and if I'm going to address it, address it earnestly and not have to be too it's clever tough, by half. You, it's such a tough question because, like, our show, we were talking about social issues and mm-hmm. that type of thing. And, and it kind of— you know, quote unquote worked. I won't really say it worked, meaning it was successful, meaning it worked because of the nature of our show and how we were responding to events that were happening. Well, yeah, know? I felt like you guys but, were consistently in conversation. But I hated having to do that, you know, because <laughs> it just drained, it was so draining and it felt like, how are you going to make, com- we're supposed to be a comedy <laughs> show for Christ's sake. Yeah. But the audience seemed to want to hear from us at the same time, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. You know? It's a weird obligation i yeah, think and some people handle it better i i don't think that was my because stuff would ha- especially in trump well, stuff because you're a character too I'm a character. so you're like well as a character what's the responsibility i know yeah. that's probably confusing oh right? yeah so it's like so yeah. i so i need to i you can sense that there people want you need to torch this or you yeah. need to come out virtuous on this because we need somebody right. to be uh, a, a beacon of light which Right. Maybe this is too grand for a late night host to right, deal right. with, but it felt at least like that was an obligation. We're like, well, yeah. everybody's going to come out and make it very clear where we as late night hosts stand on these issues. Sure. You're like, oh, is that? I don't know if that's worth at the. I don't know if that's what I should be doing. Yeah, should I be finding comedy, finding something new, or even that was a constant decision we had too of like, or even leave that to the four other shows that are handling it and mm-hmm. let's find something completely different. And I think, right. I don't know if we always did that right. I think sometimes we were somewhere in the middle, which we might have been better served. Let's just go afar mm-hmm. so there's something fresh or let's embrace it totally. What was the feeling when the show ended? How long were you guys on? We did like 120 episodes. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you were up against a wall of of what that source material was? <laughs> Uh, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I mean, we were bummed. I, I mm-hmm. wish that could have gone on. Yeah. I, it was exhausting. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we were talking <laughs> about this before we started. <laughs> Late night shows. This is a 1% conversation, unfortunately. Oh. And you can't complain about this because people are like, fuck you. You have your own show. <laughs> but but they, they're the most exhausting thing in the world. They destroy they, your life. They do. You have no life at all. But but you have a show, so you, you can't complain. You can't complain. Right. But if you were to complain. Jordan Klepper and Larry Moon are complaining about having shows. No, we're not. We're just acknowledging we're that it is very, it's very demanding. Yes. It's very demanding. Yes. I, I never got my head outside of it like yeah i was up so early i was sure. i was up so late i i just the anxiety and the uh, sleep issues I, I was nervous every morning because <laughs> i knew a show was coming and we had to write this thing and oh, god jesus and i had a, a panel i'm like i had to prepare for this written thing and a panel it's like what the fuck why did i choose this format <laughs> every day i'm like why the fuck did i choose this format? Would, you, would you look at other shows that were just oh. Like uh, Fallon, I would go, you oh. tell, all you have to do is tell jokes in <laughs> interview. I would love to tell jokes in Games? Interview. You're just doing yeah. games? Stand-up Karaoke? Jokes? Oh, my <laughs> Like, God. I can't even sing, and I'd do the karaoke. Yeah, I'd look at, I'd, like, uh, count jokes. And all, like, so yes. You're just going to stand up, you're going to do 12 jokes. I know. They don't have to be connected in a larger narrative. And right. they're going to sit down and talk. Yeah. I would see Oliver all the time, and I'm like, once a week, John. <laughs> all you have to do, and he's like, fuck you, Larry. We work hard. We're exhausted. I'm like, no, fuck you, man. You. We're exhausted every day. <laughs> have those conversations. Silly conversations. Silly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It is the the benefit of being in that position that that's what happens, you know. It's yeah. and 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 I did love it. Like, yeah, me too. It, it, it was a like I, I I don't think I realized how much I liked it until it was gone. Like I was yeah. so bummed. And honestly, it's the 
it's telling your staff that yeah. you're, we don't have any more shows, which was heartbreaking. And I think— Did you, you get you, the news before you finished? So we got—I mean, it was weird. It was complicated. Yeah. Like, we kind of—I got the news a couple weeks before right. uh, I announced. And it was I mean, it was the network. It was sort of like, this time slot's too tough. Yeah. We were, and I'm like, Larry Wilmore yeah. just burned it out for you. <laughs> yeah. And this Larry Wilmore guy. <laughs> he just ruined yeah. this time slot. It's a tough— We still have to blame him some kind of way. <laughs> yeah, your name kept coming up. They're like, yeah, this, this Larry— Sorry, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely threw you under the bus a little bit. I was like, oh, yeah, Larry ruined it. I don't know what it was. I know. Well, people always like to create these rivalries that don't exist to, you know, mm-hmm. oh, Jordan took Larry's spot. Guys, it doesn't happen like that, you know? <laughs> it's like my show went down. Thank God Jordan got a show. I was very happy for him. Well, you know? I wish your show was still <laughs> yes, going. I, I wish know. it was still going. I wish it right. went and gave me relaxation. Yes, exactly. There's, I do think that is funny. I, I definitely mm-hmm. felt I felt bad. People would, I mean, there was a, a year between our shows up, but people would come yeah. to me and they were like, do you feel bad taking Larry's show? And I would say, no, I, would, I gladly take Larry's show. Yeah, it's like no one took no one's <laughs> show. Like people would say um, that I took uh, Colbert's time slot. I, said, I didn't take his time slot. I have a show that is different that they programmed after The Daily Show. <laughs> or they say, well, you know, it's not like Colbert. It's not supposed to be like Colbert. <laughs> there are all. I had to go against all these Colbert comparisons oh. when we came on that were so insane because well, Stephen was so beloved, you know, in that oh, time God, Oh, God, yeah. Oh, it was crazy. It, it took us really, the year and a half we were on, it took that long for people to stop doing that. That's Literally. wild. Yeah, it's so you crazy. guys wrote it. It was a year and a half. A year and a half. So by the time we were off, people were like, "Oh, we really like that." Well, motherfucker, why did you compare it to Colbert all the time? You should have stopped that earlier. <laughs> yeah, did, did that that like, oh, now we like you. Now we don't want you to go. Yeah, I feel oh. like when it ended, all mm-hmm. all of these. Oh, such a unique voice. We need a champion. It's like right. you. Why were you not championing this for the last year it's and tough. a half? Yeah, people have their favorites. And plus, we had to bring in our own audience, too. You have to do some of that, and it just takes time for that. There was some of the audience that was definitely crossover, and I had some from The Daily Show, too, from my time there. Mm -hmm. But there was a new audience that we were bringing in that— where I used to joke on The Daily Show that three black people total watch The Daily Show, you know, and and if you count my parents, that it leaves only one. (laughs) Like, I'm talking to the one person out there, you know. So, you know, it just takes a while for that audience, you know. It does. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to get out from those comparisons. I feel like right. time. I could I could see that with Trevor. It feels like over time, it, it finally yeah. the the John comparisons die down, and it's it's, it's his a big show. Channel. Yeah, it's what I felt. John and Sam, not that they don't have great shows, mm-hmm. you know, but they never had to worry about those comparisons, you know, mm-hmm. because of the, it's this arbitrary time slot thing. You yeah. Know? Um, well, they. It's time John slot and Sam being yeah. and going away. I think like there was yeah. a little bit of an. A narrative. I'm not saying this was created by Sam, but I think like yeah. I think a lot of people were like, "Oh, I wish Sam got that right. job." Yeah. Oh, she got her own thing. Like cool. Like she yeah. could start fresh. It right. was like we're rooting for this, not as a replacement of something, but as yes. like a birth of something new, which I right. think really benefited a show like that. Yeah, it doesn't start in a deficit. Mm-hmm. People are already rooting for it, which is interesting. Yeah, but you know, it is what it is. I was still happy I had the opportunity. Um, so Klepper. Tell me how Klepper comes about. Who comes up with—is this something you, like, in the back of your mind? Because sometimes ideas, I feel, work like this. As you're doing something, you know, man, I'd really like to do more of this thing, you know? Yeah, I think it was—so in we literally get a call from mm-hmm. the network that's like, we we love the show. 
Show's great. Opposition's great. It's great. It's great. I think we're going to end the show. We think— You don't realize they're the opposition. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wait a minute. You're opposed <laughs> yeah. to the opposition. The network is the actual opposition. <laughs> <laughs> they, I mean, they were speaking to some things that we were having conversations about. Mm-hmm. Primarily, the competition at 1130. We were having a hard time edging with all out. The other talk with, shows, with all right? the other shows. And yeah. people, you know, we're, we're up against, you know, Fallon, Kimmel, and mm-hmm. Colbert. And I think, like— I put money on, like, let's go through character, let's go far, far right, mm-hmm. let's see that, and let's go more absurd, and maybe that'll get a, a niche. I think we were starting to build a world that I thought I wanted more time. Mm-hmm. They thought, hey, we think we can carve out more space with a once a week. And also, a consistent conversation was, like, I wanted character, mm-hmm. and, like, Trevor is an example, too, of, like, oh, it feels like culture is tracking away from irony and wants more earnestness mm. and I would fight that with opposition to him like I'm giving you this character I, mm-hmm. I will give you the wink and there's, that was often a term we'd use like where's the winks so the audience knows Jordan the person is mm-hmm. but also I have to keep this character that's why it's fun yeah. uh, and that was a discussion we consistently had uh, but I did miss going out in the field mm-hmm. and I think like I love being in the field and we had hoped with the opposition that I could go out and I did out I went out a few times but the reality was I just I was in the office the whole time. there was just yeah, no there's space no, there's right? just no space mm-hmm. and so so it kind of popped up there of like would you be interested in a field show and mm-hmm. I was like you know I I would it'd be fun to craft what a field show would be and so we started from there and then quickly evolved into it changed. We thought it was going to be, eh, what if it's like three field pieces, this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, but I do want to, I want to lose the, I want to lose the character. Character right. was already tough with the opposition. People had a hard time getting that. There's comparisons that were, were starting in a deficit. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, let me just be me. Also, yeah. just as a guy who's like at the time, what, 38, 39, I'm mm-hmm. like, fuck it. If I'm ever going to look at like, what do I care about? Can I earnestly speak to some issues? Right. Now is the time. I'm fortunate enough to get a potential opportunity for that. I love being in the field. But I know all the crutches of Mm -hmm. irony. of Because there's that daily show approach where it's heavy on irony. Heavy on irony, heavy on take, which is fun. Mm -hmm. And I like those. But it's very specific, right? Very specific. Mm -hmm. And you go out, you know what you're going to get. And also, like, I was doing a lot of stuff that was like, you got some gotcha moments. Mm -hmm. I go to Trump rallies, scorched earth, that kind of stuff. Yeah, those are good. They're fun to do, but Mm -hmm. it was kind of with Klepper. It was like, what if we strip that away Mm -hmm. and we, we, we try to actually tell longer stories, bigger stories. Yeah. And and we started shooting, and that's what we kind of stumbled on and found. Yeah. And, and we started to find that, like, we're actually doing documentaries. Mm-hmm. Also, it's really hard to get comedy in here. Yeah. And, like, half of that was great because we, we wanted to break the rhythms of Daily Show. And you know the rhythm. You know the rhythm Absolutely. in the edit of, like, start mm-hmm. with that joke, that that's irony, right. get that line that he says, mm-hmm. tag it with a joke. Even if it's not the great joke, it has the rhythm yeah. that you need. Cut to the reaction. Yep. <laughs> so, like, we were like, what if we need to break the rhythm? It has to sound mm-hmm. different. How do we start doing that? How do we start playing with that? Uh, and and what you quickly also find is, like, when you pull all of that away, Daily Show, you go out with the the story you think you're going to tell. And mm-hmm. you probably get 80% of it, maybe, coming yeah. back. This one, the best episodes, it was like, we're going to go out and we're going to get 20% of it. And we're going to mm-hmm. stumble on something and then we're going to be able to tell that story in another way. And yeah. so it was like, it was a, a real evolution to figure out what that show was because mm-hmm. we had to shed some some old school habits. Did you have test 
episodes that you did? No. Or did you just try to figure this out? Then you find you figured out what that first episode was, and then that became the template? It was, I mean, I w- this was, it was another one where like, we're like, I wish we had a pilot. Like a pilot, yeah, you can exactly. figure stuff out. You can figure like, it out. Oh, my God, pilot. here we are again. Or a special. Yes. Right. Well, I did mm-hmm. a special on uh, the gun debate. That's right. That was great. That yeah. was like really f- that was at least a template in my head of how mm-hmm. to do something a little outside Daily Show. It still had rhythms and, and more character mm-hmm. to it. We we went out and shot like Verite Vice style mm-hmm. on a piece about a deported vets. And we shot for five straight days. We came back. We started to put it together. And it was a mess. And mm-hmm. we started shooting a couple other things. And they were like a mess. They were a doc. Was, like, it, it, was it hard to find what that point of view was that was the unifying thing that tells the story? Yes. Uh-huh. I, I think right. it will— it was either you're you're letting it be all experiential fly on the wall, sure. and then it's like I don't know if we have enough yeah. compelling stuff here. Right. And then you'd go back to like Daily Show. Let's add some arch and some bits, and then it felt it felt too rote. Mm-hmm. We ended up so that we filmed this and we we edit. We had it for a month on a piece, and it's it's a mess. We don't quite know what it is. There's some interesting moments, but it's not a story. We go and fill our second thing, which was uh, protesters in the bayou. Mm-hmm. We go out. There's some interesting characters. We find some moments, and then I go out in the bayou with these these protesters and we sink we sink we're in the bayou the police start uh, patrolling looking for us it was an earnest dangerous situation we come back and we're like this is not what we expected but we got something kind of fucking crazy we were gonna follow these activists and it was the story was more complicated I sunk in a boat mm-hmm. these guys were imperfect and that was part of the problem but they're mm-hmm. still they're heroic in their own sense yeah. we start putting that together and our first cut of that we literally, Stu and I walked out of the edit and we hugged because we were like, "That oh, that's what it is. Nice. Like, it, was like, it, was like, it was like, oh, that's that's compelling. It was, there's a, a three-minute me going out on this boat. That's not funny. It's got a couple little yeah. jokey things that's here. That's where we had the snake in your lap or whatever that thing was. Oh, the, uh, yeah. the, the smoke thing? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was hilarious. Half of it just becomes this fish out of it water was, of me. I, I found myself <laughs> captivated by that episode. It was so bizarre. Oh. You're wondering, well, what's going to happen here? It was very compelling, I thought. I think that's what we yeah. Like we, we found ourselves watching that edit, and there was there were sections where we were just, we were just engaged. Yeah, <laughs> and we we're like, oh, I don't usually watch it like this. Oh, this is this is actually a good thing. I care about this story. Yeah, I'm curious about what's going to happen. And we found comedy in organic places. And you look genuinely frightened. Well, that's what it was. I, I, I don't want to be <laughs> yes. there. Yes, you're it's like, like I'm, I'm going to sit here. Oh, this gentleman doesn't want to be on camera. He's yeah. moving over they here. They didn't want me yeah. to be there. I'm a bitch on camera because yeah. I'm uncomfortable and I'm right. whiny. And that's how I was in that moment. It was like, yeah. oh, if we can put me in situations where I'm earnestly uncomfortable, where people are earnestly going above and beyond, mm-hmm. like, something compelling will happen and that's where we started being like oh we need to go to we need to go put ourselves in action in those situations let's go let's go be right. in the situation let's trust that we will find fun moments and then mm-hmm. we started to find like oh we can we can look for these types of moments this type of fish out of waters mm-hmm. plays more comedy wise cuz like even in edit you'd have stuff where you'd make that joke in the moment sure. and then you'd daily show cut where they don't have any reaction yes and it looks Fakey in, yeah, in, in, yeah, a, yeah. in something that's verite. And so we're like, if we're going to go verite-y and you make a joke and they laugh, you show them laugh. Yeah. Because that's how it happened as opposed to trying to set up that I'm this this person who's not connecting with people. Right. But it was a process. And each episode we kind of had to start from scratch because just when you thought you had it figured out, yeah, something wouldn't happen on a show. Because the people tell the, the story in they many t- ways and the— Events you set up are going to tell a story in a way in many ways you don't expect. It's true documentary yeah. making. 
Well, that feels we, like yeah. we had a vice producer who shot a lot of docs, and mm-hmm. then like as we were as we were bitching about some of the difficulties here, like she mm-hmm. she said exactly that. She was like, "You guys, you're going out to tell other people's stories." You have to let them tell the stories. That's absolutely right. <laughs> and you're like, oh, right. I guess we thought we had to write this. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I already <laughs> knew their story before yes. I ever met them. She's like, right. well, you go out and you realize yeah. they have a story to tell. Yeah. I found uh, so many were so compelling. My take on it is that you really found it, um, a lot of humanity in your show, which I think makes it different. I like, how does this belong in Comedy Central? There's too much humanity in it. <laughs> we, we, we tried to pull as much humanity out as we could. Yeah, it reminds me in some ways, in a good way, of um, what's his name on CNN who um, does his um, United Bell? Show. Yeah, yeah. Kamal Bell show in many yeah. ways, you know, where you're out in the world and you're talking to real people about these things and you're inserting yourself enough of whether it's comedic or real and mm-hmm. trying to judge what's right for the situation, you know? I think he's got a great show, and I, mm-hmm. and it's compelling people. Uh, I think we, we watch Bourdain a lot as, yeah. as well to be like, mm-hmm. oh, this is—I love this aesthetically, but there's there's you really are transported there. Yeah. You know, I will give the network credit here. Like, there were times we, we were like, do we need to get more jokey or what have you? Right. And, like, we wanted, we wanted everybody we talked to to have— Dignity, and not that we mm-hmm. tried to pull that away on other shows we worked on, but it was like, oh, let's let's give these characters more space. And yeah. I think like, and it, it was it was cathartic to be able to do some of that and to see mm-hmm. some, you know, I, I don't want to say like, oh, now I, my mind has always changed with all of this, but say, like, oh, I think there's there's some nice muddy gray areas that yeah. in field pieces you wouldn't always get to put in the final piece because it gets boiled down. Here mm-hmm. it was like, oh. These characters are are fun, quirky, and flawed, and it's nice to get a little bit on. Yeah, it's on nice air. when there's no apparent agenda yeah. of trying to either prove something or or do something. The one with the the vets who were uh, wrestling mm-hmm. and the PTSD. I mean, PTSD is such a complicated issue, and and the way that these guys, after you're doing some of these things that are kind of comic, you know, with you in the ring and yeah. everything, but the way the guy, even when the guy has you hitting him, you know that. This kind of expression and this physicality is therapy. Yep. You know, and how they even said that it beats doing, well, one of them said it beats killing, you know, yeah. or that type of thing, you know. <laughs> it's not that hard, you know. Yeah. But that, statements like that, I was like, wow, yeah, I mean, it gives you just another view of what people may be going through in that situation. You Those know? guys, honestly, that was, not every story is as easy to tell and that was one that mm-hmm. comedically veterans who are dealing with PTSD not a funny thing doing it through professional wrestling mm-hmm. active and more comedic so that we're right. like oh that this was an easier issue. one to tell comedic yeah. tropes that you can put in there we right. can play off of the things exactly. that are already there but like getting to spend time with them like yeah they were they were fascinating they were so open were their uh, emotions on their sleeves mm-hmm. you know got to hang out with these guys for five days um and they were—I mean—they were—they were beautiful. We don't talk. We didn't talk politics mm-hmm. at all. Uh, we talked about the issues they're going through. We talked about performing. Like it was—it was stuff like that that allowed allowed it not to just be like, yeah, but I need you to slay the VA. And to be mm-hmm. honest, we walked out thinking it was going to be much more anti-VA. And you talk to these guys, and it's like, it's not the VA's fault. Right. I wish they did more. Sure. But guess what? I just wish more people understood what's going on. Yeah. And you have you have some beers with these guys. You talk to these guys, and and they're compelling. They're thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, it's been nice, honestly, one of the best compliments I get with uh, having done the show. And that one aired, and 
a lot of vets have come up and they've talked about, they've talked to me, they've also connected with those guys about like, mm-hmm. oh, these are stories that they see and don't usually get to see, which is, which is nice. You don't always get that. And then you had a, a kind of a more of a complicated veteran show about veterans who were not citizens mm-hmm. and then they serve, mm-hmm. but then they get denied that citizenship uh, for different reasons or yeah. whatever. Um, what was the thought of doing that? You had just done – well, which one did you do first? So that was the one that we had trouble shooting. That was the first one we shot. Okay, so that, so that was first. So that, and then you decided to do the other one after that, knowing that you were going to do a Vets episode. Yeah, right? so like mm-hmm. we kind of – you know, we initially had a board of big topics, and then mm-hmm. all these topics had – were two topics as opposed to one or three. Mm-hmm. It's just that, that one's about Vets and immigration issues and mm-hmm. kind of uh, criminal justice. I think the Deported Vets one was one – Literally, it was pitched, you know, what's the, why Why do we do this? What's the story about it? It was just pitched as deported fucking vets. And I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, we, we, I got to know more about this. Yeah. So we started filming that one. We started filming Manuel because we wanted each person to be actively doing someone. So and he was, it was the Marine who. Uh, he's the Marine who got uh-huh. the, the RV, drove across country. Yeah. And so that's where we spent five days with him, kind of thinking the episode would be a road trip, mm-hmm. following somebody telling the story. And then we go to Tijuana and spend the time with the vets. And that was one where so I go to the bunker, which is where the veterans who have been deported, who can't go back to their family, they come to this small bunker in Tijuana where they find community. Mm. Many of them have been, haven't seen family members in decades. Mm-hmm. I come in like Verite style to talk to them. And this was like our first shoot. Mm-hmm. You walk into that room and immediately like, there's no setup to that. I walk in and they just start telling stories. Mm. And like all of those back pocket jokes of like, well, let me right. get these things in. Out the window. Oh my God. I'm just oh like, I'm God, like there's yeah. no joke in this room. No, not at all. And, and that you come back, I'm like, shit, I didn't find it. I'm like, well, maybe I could have been better and savvier. But I'm like, I don't think it was there. And I think that's, I think we got to figure out a better way to, I think we can, we can show this and let's see if we can find other ways to make this comic. But, but this is really compelling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, I, how, how this works at Comedy Central, I don't know yet. Uh, we have to show these guys' story. And then, mm-hmm. th- and then, then that started to become a functional thing. We brought that back, started to figure out how you put stuff together. Then we pitched an explainer type idea to uh, the EB5 visas to find like a comical way to do that. So mm-hmm. that was just, honestly, it, w- it was fun to, I wonder from even a writer pers- uh, perspective, it was fun to actually craft something, mm-hmm. whereas like for a daily show, it always felt it felt fun that it was always a sprint, but it was depressing to be like, do you remember that thing we did two months ago? And yeah. you talk to staff and they'd be like, I don't. I was like, oh, neither do I. Shit. Yeah. And this to be like, oh, we spent a week and a half working on this episode, and now we're going to edit it for two months. We're going to wow. really craft one thing. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's been nice to have have little pieces of things that feel polished. It's like doing a short film almost. Yeah, yeah essentially. Uh-huh. Yeah, at times it felt like we did eight little docs. Yeah. And you've done eight so far? Done eight, yeah. We filmed yeah. Eight, 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 yeah. And then you got involved in a way that was probably unexpected. Yeah. Uh, where you got arrested. Got arrested. And that was in the DACA one? Yes. Where the issue with Dreamers going to college, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, no. To me, that is a complicated issue. I it feel is. like that is not a simple black and white issue because I don't know any country on earth that says— if you come here illegally, you get to go to school for free. Well, like that's never been it's like. Not a, if you look at it closely, I can say, mm, uh, well, there's a lot of people who are. And, but the issue is, there's so much college debt now, you yes. know, with people who live here. And then if you say, wait, if I had been here without status, I could go for free. Well, but not for What's fr- not, not all of them. So what the thing they want is they're they're undocumented students mm-hmm. and DACA students. Right. The, the drama in Georgia is. 
And, or and even the, being allowed to go allowed to the to school. Allowed to go. That's yes, what t- like, exactly. And I shouldn't say that for free. It's getting a minute. Yeah. Well, there, again, there's, it's right. a twofold where like most states, if you're undocumented or especially if you're a DACA student, you can go to state schools. Right. Uh, most states or almost half the states, well, 23 states, I think, are like, and if you're undocumented or DACA and want to go to a state school, mm-hmm. we will give you in-state tuition. And that, I, I think, yeah, I think that's that's a complicated issue. That's I, the I, part I, where it gets complicated. Like, right. Should you get uh, in-state tuition? Mm-hmm. I, I, I can see a very compelling argument that says no. Now, should you be not, sh- like, there, there are students from other countries who are coming in. Uh, right. Like, sh- should you be denied access to those colleges? Well, I... I don't necessarily think so. And I think, like, what became really fascinating there was spending time with these students and— and they just want to go to college. Sure. And, and, you, and, and then the way they're attacked from uh, some hate groups who are who, who want to flush them out of, uh, mm-hmm. of of Georgia. And they kind of become pawns in this. Flush, them, whole, flush out. them out of Georgia. Uh, <laughs> Georgia's got a lot of flushing to do, but I don't know <laughs> if, if that should be what should be flushed. I think, I, I, well, this was the thing, too. The thing that mm-hmm. what Georgia's dealing with right now is— they're. They've had to allow uh, in-state tuition. They're giving that to some out-of-state students. They're having right. serious brain drain. People are le- people are leaving Georgia. People aren't coming to these mm-hmm. state schools in Georgia. They're having a hard time getting people there. They're having a hard time having people stay in Georgia to work in Georgia mm-hmm. or college grads. Like, there's an easy fix here. There are students who live in Georgia. There are students who came to Georgia when they were four months old. Yeah. Uh, and again, that story gets more and more complicated. Some of them, their parents came when Georgia loosened restrictions for workers during the Olympics because they had to build up Atlanta. So it's complicated. Yeah. In the end, I'd, I'd love Georgia to come together and be like, can we show a little compassion for these students yeah, who want to go to college? I've always felt we should have different rules for especially people that have been here since they were children. Yeah. You know, and have been going to school in America their whole lives. You know, mm-hmm. we, we need to come up with a different— Definition. I always say they should be undocumented Americans. Mm-hmm. Is really yeah. what they are because they've been living as Americans. Yeah, you know, as opposed to someone who is recently arrived. You know, maybe as an adult or something. You know, there's like we're smart enough to make distinctions. Yes. You know? Well, I feel like DACA yeah. is a is an attempt at that yeah. distinction. Right. And that's where even in this, and I had some bipartisan support for a while. Yeah. the whole idea of DACA. You know. I think. I mean, it's it's just become a, such a political football here. Yeah, we're now, is, and th- yeah. that's where it does feel like it's like you talk to almost anybody one on one down there in Georgia and explain that situation. Uh, a kid who comes here mm-hmm. <laughs> when he's uh, one, or or someone who is, is born here to right. uh, parents who are who are not citizens. Should they be able to go to a college here? Most people there one on one, like of, of course, yeah. we shouldn't be arguing about this. But that was—they they were a really compelling story, and beyond that, they were compelling in the fact that they they were studying the civil rights movement as a way to to have their voice heard. Yeah, that, that was, gets a little complicated too. Yeah. It does get complicated. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's there was. I was like, stop using brothers now. <laughs> Everybody's well, want to use our story. Well, and that, that was interesting. They had uh, right. Charles Black was a student of Martin Luther King's, right, who was right, part right. of like the Freedom Universities, right. They, I know that there's 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 debate within the community there yeah, of like yeah. oh is I, this, I've is done this jokes a, about that back in the day. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, sorry. Like, why are you why are you trying it's to not the same thing? Why are you trying to? Everybody's trying people? to ride a brother's train to freedom. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we told you to get on the freedom train in the beginning. Well, but it's, <laughs> it's there's not our space. There's some go. extra seats on that train, <laughs> Larry. <laughs> uh, all right. Okay. <laughs> we, what in seeing that? Are you? No, not at all. Uh, I just acknowledge that. I always acknowledge that I can. 
I can have compassion for something, and it doesn't have to be like something else mm-hmm. in order for me to have compassion. Both of those things don't have to be true. That's true. It's just like I feel that way with climate. The earth does not have to be exploding next week for me to want to keep it clean. Mm-hmm. You know, those things don't have to— that doesn't have to exist for me to do the other. Yeah. We can be be proper stewards of the earth without me thinking it's going to be gone in 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just keep it clean, you know. And if that is the case, we should be mindful of that as well, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but we can be good citizens about people who need help and need this kind of attention without having to draw a distinction, without having to make a direct analogy or something. If it's correct, then that's fine. But mm-hmm. it, we don't need that in order to have to have the correct compassion, I think. Yeah. You know. I think you're right. I think a lot of these— it is just a particular journey of what that civil rights journey was. It's very particular, and it's all-encompassing. And this is more of a specific target, you know, is it the is. way I look at it. It's a specific issue, you know. Yeah. We're back to our exclusion was from all of society, <laughs> just for the mere color of our skin, not mm-hmm. about any kind of status or anything. Yeah. The status I, was, you're black. <laughs> that was the status <laughs> yes. you, you got. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I think right. what was fascinating, the usage of the tactics of the civil rights era yeah. was something that they were that they were engaged with in a way that was very present. Mm-hmm. That that was when I filmed after having gone to the bayou, which was environmentalists who were like, We're gonna lock ourselves up, mm-hmm. yeehaw, fuck everybody else. Mm-hmm. Which I I empathize with, but didn't often feel like it was getting the results they wanted. Right. It was interesting to go here and see, like, an engagement with history at, from, like, a tactical standpoint mm-hmm. that I think was, like, maybe moving towards, like, I was like, oh, it's this is this has a, a blueprint for activism that feels mm-hmm. very current right now. Yeah. Um, that led me to kind of spend time with them and eventually get arrested, which was a wild experience. How long were you in jail? Uh, 12 hours. Oh, okay. So just long enough to be somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, make some nice relationships. <laughs> it makes a, That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, to form some nice bonds. To form some yes. very nice bonds. <laughs> what was it like in there? What was it like? I mean, it was. what's fascinating about it is I stood, there were other faith leaders in the community who mm-hmm. also protested and were arrested because they have the protection that a collar can get you. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which randomly happened to be my grandmother's pastor from Kalamazoo, Michigan, from a decade earlier. Went to jail? Went to jail with me. I spent wow. I spent the time in a cell with a guy who I literally met a decade ago. That's bizarre. It was it was it was mm-hmm. an odd connection. So what you connection. for? Honestly, when you say you're in for uh, criminal trespassing, uh, Uh standing up at a Board of Regents meeting, uh, it's not necessarily the coolest thing to brag about. At the moment they were taking you away, did you feel like, "Mm, they're not really going to arrest me? Or did you feel like, oh, shit, this is really happening? Almost flip. I think, like, Uh at the time I stood up, I was like, I'm going to get arrested. This is, you know— Getting arrested draws attention to it. That's sort of the purpose of this. Like, mm-hmm. let, let us be heard. Because you're doing a TV show. You're doing a TV now. show. You're not really being an activist. Right. Right? And, and then honestly— and In then, your mind, right? In my mind, yes. And but I, I but will you're say, acting like the activist. Well, and that was even a big—that right. was a big line for us with the show. Right. We're like, we're going to cover activists. And to be honest, we didn't think—the show didn't start out like we're going to cover activists. Mm-hmm. It started out we're going to cover, like, identity— tribalism, Mm -hmm. like how people find the groups that they are in. Mm -hmm. It came much more about the causes that they're fighting for. And we said that. We're like, I can't go into each episode and just be like, I'm fighting for you. Like, it's it's disingenuous. It's like, I'm this interloper. Yeah, I'm just like you guys. Mm -hmm. So we were always like, I will be there. I will get up close. I want to see how difficult it is to to be out here in the bayou. But this Mm -hmm. is your cause. This was one that was like, this was near the end of the season. And I 
people are talking. Like, you are here. You are a part of this. You can draw attention. They were a very compelling story. Talked about like you can weaponize this. And it was a moment where like, I am going to I'm going to make the choice that I will be a part of this. This does feel organic, and I I, I will stand for these these mm-hmm. students. And when you stand and you do that, I'm like, here we go. The police officer pulls me out, and I'm walking out thinking I'm getting arrested. He pulls me out, and he's like. Thank you, thank you. I, I don't want to arrest you here today. You're you're, you're good. I'm okay. like, oh, I think actually the point was to get arrested here today. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, I think actually this protest maybe went awry. But then we we stood on the side and we continued to pray with these these prayer leaders. Mm-hmm. And then they make a very clear line of like, it's now if you well, don't now leave you, right now, now you're praying. Now, now you're praying. Now, too far. oh my God, here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you brought God into yeah, it. Right? Right. God's in here. Put the play. Yeah, 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 yeah. Throw this. <laughs> this atheist comes in here. He's gonna mm-hmm. invoke God mm-hmm. with these guys. All right, give him throw him the clink. It's fascinating there. I honestly, mm. you know, I'm I'm a fortunate guy who's on a TV show who goes to jail, so it's not the common jail experience. Mm-hmm. You don't get special treatment. You do. You cough twice. You drop your pants. You mm-hmm. get thrown, bounced around. I, the little snippet of being in there was was eye opening. I think uh, I'm talking to a lot of people who you can bounce around. It's bureaucratic and it's mind numbing, and you're talking to people who have been going through this for. For years, or people have been going through this even for months. And what was mm-hmm. fascinating talking to a few inmates who had like been moved from jail to jail. They post bail; it's five hundred bucks. They can't pay five hundred bucks, so they got to stay in for another week and a half. So then they lose their job, and then they go on out. And like you, you start to see recidivism up close mm-hmm. in a way that was. Again, you read about it, and I think like I do come from a place of privilege. Who often is in New York talking about these things. Mm-hmm. And I read this article. I read this article, and and being in there, you you can't escape. This is a shitty place. I'm talking to people who can't get out of this loop here. It's fascinating. Yeah, it and makes me want to honestly. It was like, oh, if I got to do another season, there, there, there are stories here to be told that yeah. I, I, I kind of felt ignorant <laughs> being on the outside and going in. It's like, oh yeah, oh this is what a jail looks like. Oh this is oh it's oh it's bureaucracy. Uh-huh. And then you oh well why don't you you just post bail? Oh you can't post bail. So that means what? Oh oh you're here for oh two more weeks. Oh shit. What is it? Oh, that means you lose your job. Oh, oh, okay. Like, yeah, those are just dots I hadn't connected. Yeah, the the domino effect of of that kind of stuff. Did it feel odd when you had to leave? Like you're with these people, and then you go to jail, and you go, "Okay, thanks, guys, yeah. we're done here." Yeah, yeah. You, you, you <laughs> don't go to jail again. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Bye, everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's all surreal. You leave when yeah. you when you leave that's jail. That's the part where it's like, uh, okay, I'm done. Okay, yeah. we're here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's. We try to even with the show address like it is. It's mm-hmm. it's it's hard to make a show that's not about you when you mm-hmm. put your last name in the title. So it's a it's a consistent <laughs> balance. I think that one was one. Yeah, you you leave. We talk to the students as we leave, and like, and that story kind of continues on. Yeah, it sure does. Well, um, so. What else do we have to look forward to? The I think three have aired so far. Yeah, we just got. Uh, the fourth one just aired on Memorial Day. Okay. So we got uh, the one coming up right now is about uh, Native American invisibility. Mm. There was a, an article that came out about like lack of representation in media for mm-hmm. uh, and misrepresentation media. And so we kind of were like, great, if we're part of media, what do we need to know? And kind of spent time with Deb Holland, who was one of the first female congresswomen who is uh, indigenous. Traveled around the country, went to a bunch of different artists in a bunch of different towns. Uh, we did a, an episode on space, an episode on— Ooh, space. Space is fun. <laughs> Legalized weed in here in California, but specifically in Oakland and their equity program, which they're trying to combat the war on drugs. So we look at Oakland compared to Compton and how they're dealing mm. with the legalized weed. 
Yeah. So that's going to be an issue in the election, I think, too. The, I think it is. Yeah. It feels like that tide is turning. Mm-hmm. That was sort of the premise of this episode. I mean, a lot of these, uh, I, we often say, I walk into these episodes two weeks ago dumb. <laughs> so, you know, you do all your research, you know right. what's going on. You're like, but uh, let me start two weeks ago. And with the mm-hmm. weed one, it was that. It was like, all right, let's start two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, California, the weed issue. Everybody's talking about weed in the national elections. California has it figured out. Let's go see how it's actually benefiting communities. Yeah. Like, oh, well, it's complicated. Places like Compton or 80-some percent of communities here don't want it sold within the community. Oakland has this equity program that's mm-hmm. giving preferential treatment to people who've uh, been victims of the war on drugs. Right. Which is a political. Uh, That's a whole big political it's football. A right big now. political mm-hmm. football, on on all sides, mm-hmm. even within it. Absolutely. And then there's an underground. And then we talk to the underground market where there are people who are like, I don't get, I don't qualify for this equity program. And now you're, uh, now I'm even farther back in the line because wow. the equity program's broken. Mm-hmm. So I'm now going underground to sell, and now that's hurting the equity applicants. I mean, it's it's a mess. <laughs> I think it's moving in the right direction, yeah. but it's a mess. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that issue in this election. Are you guys going to do any political election type of episodes in your next run, do you think? I don't know. If we get another run, mm-hmm. it would. It, I'd love to kind of mm-hmm. let that be a part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's also nice to be away from That's the true. day-to-day. I will <laughs> yeah, say, like, I bet it is, yeah. Like, the election is, is compelling. These episodes are so not Trumpy. Yeah. And, God— yeah. God, he's exhausting. And so. it's more evergreen. You can air these uh, yeah. after you've been editing them for a while. Yeah, which is too. it's nice to have. Well, congratulations. How's the show doing so far? It's, it's doing good. I think good. I think people seem to like it. Have you heard from people directly also? People that we've— Oh, just people like tweeting at you or— people t- A lot, a lot of people tweeting. Uh-huh, great. Most people are tweeting like, oh, I cut my cord. Uh, how do I watch it? Uh-huh. And uh, so I'm trying to figure out how to <laughs> bridge that gap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the other weird thing is right. the cable television versus the streaming Yeah, I world. know. It keeps changing. It changes so quick. Jordan Klepper, you guys. The show is Klepper on Comedy Central. When does it air? It airs Thursdays, 11.30. Thursdays, 11.30 in that time slot. <laughs> Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Thursdays, the gold time slot. <laughs> it's really good show, you guys. It's something, as I say, it's a surprising thing in Comedy Central. There's a lot of humanity in it, a lot of issues. It's it's very watchable. And Jordan, you're really fantastic. Man. No, you're the best. Thank Congrats. you. Congrats. Tell Stu and the gang. I said, yo, what's up? <laughs> I will do that. Jordan Klepper, everybody. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, Jordan.